There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But if I'm going to be vulnerable, that means I'm open to all of these things that you're going to have to say about what I have to say. And if I start living like that, I'm probably going to make different choices. <laughs> right? Because if I do something bad and then I'm going to be able to talk about it, I, oh, I'm, my life is going to get a lot harder. How you day? How you day? That was the voice of Scott Shoot. Now, mindfulness. How many of you know what mindfulness is? Some of you may have tuned in to the meditation apps. Some of you may use that to calm yourself down. I certainly do. I use calm and I use breathe. But do you know why it's important for you to meditate? Why it's important for you to be mindful? Two different things. But how can mindfulness really give you insight into your body? How can it give you insight into what you need to do and how you connect in the workplace and in any other system you participate in? How can you be present? That's where Scott comes into play here. And now Scott is someone who has done amazing work at LinkedIn, so much so that they created a job for him, head of mindfulness for him at LinkedIn. Think about that. Think about how effective you have to be for a company to create a job for you. Mind blowing. <laughs> but we, we just we, we had a lovely conversation and this is one of my favorite episodes. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you sit down, sip some tea <laughs> and just breathe. Remember to breathe, listen and take every piece of insight that you can from the episode. His book is also going to be in the show notes. Make sure you check it out. All right. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is Scott Shute. Now, Scott is the head of mindfulness and compassion programs at LinkedIn and has been an active advocate for customers and employees in the technology space for over 20 years with roles ranging from sales, customer advocacy, customer service leadership, and many, many more things. At the time of this podcast, by the time you listen to this podcast, this book would have been out and the book is called The Full Body Yes change your work and your world from the inside out. These are the things that we'll be discussing in today's episode. And hopefully as you listen, you pick up the book, you share with your family, friends and, and students or whatever, uh, you know, component and circle of influence you have, and you discuss how you can change your work and your world from inside out. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Pleasure is mine. And I have so many things that I'm intrigued by. I'm very into mindfulness. It's something that I, I, I started picking up in the last couple of years, especially with, uh, as I became more familiar with 
some of the traumas that I had gone through as a child and even as an adult. But I want you to tell me what you mean by changing your work and world from the inside out. Ah, <laughs> we're going to go right there. I mean, it I is. It. I, it, that was Let's the first thing. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So lots of studies, lots of research around, look, our happiness is not the stuff that happens to us, right? Mm. It's how we react to the stuff that happens to us. In other words, you know, we can have, you ever, let's back up. You ever have a really, really fantastic day where like, no matter what happened to you, you felt like you were on top of it and you could just thrive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And if you, and I'm guessing, have you ever had just the other side of that where like, no matter what happened, you just ended up in a, whatever, a crying mess in the corner. You yeah. Know? Sometimes I couldn't even get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We, we've all had those days. Now, what was the difference between these two days? It was probably mostly what was going on inside your head, right? Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the stuff happening in our lives. And so, so happiness is an inside job and how we, how we view our world, how we view our work starts with us. Now, of course, outside circumstances are going to dictate a little bit of that, maybe a lot of that. So in other words, a day that I get fired is not going to be as good probably as a day that I get promoted. But over time, we all kind of revert back to this natural, you know, set point in our life, this kind of happiness set point. So if you're a three out of 10 or a nine out of 10 in the happiness scale, the stuff that happens to you day to day will change that a little bit, but over time, you'll go back to that point. Hmm. And the good news is we can move that point. We can learn to be more optimistic. We can learn to be happier. These are skills that you can teach. That's what I mean by change your work and your world from the inside out. So knowing your baseline, if you will, is essentially what you're talking about there and understanding that. It starts with knowing ourselves. Knowing right? ourselves. Self-awareness. Deep... Okay. Self-awareness. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I outline, we'll go there. I have outlined four parts in my book. You know, <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so the first part, the first part is knowing yourself, right? And so okay. knowing what your baseline is. And most people know, it's like, you kind of know, like, am I generally an optimistic or a pessimistic person? So know yeah. yourself. The second part is to love yourself, to really like identify that deepest part of you that is, that is pure, that part that knows the third step is to really take accountability, to take responsibility for our own lives, right? To, to do the hard work. Because mm. look, it's a lot easier to be a victim than it is to be a player right. in our own lives. Yeah. And then the fourth step is with others, right? To take those same three steps for other people, to know, to become aware of others, to love others, and then you know, take action on behalf of them. I'll share a story or a few. So at, when, at the time my first book was coming out, uh, Use Your Difference to Make a Difference. And it, I, was, I was in a very toxic relationship at the time. And a lot of things were happening for me. Typically, right? You'd be happy, you'd be successful, you're going on tour, you're doing all these things. But I was so depressed. And it was one of the weirdest things I, I had ever felt yeah. because I, I remember I was in the middle, I was about to do something for Viacom and I was saying to myself, I, you know, my book is out, I should be happy. I, I've worked really hard for this. I'm really proud of this project, but it, I'm just more worried about what's happening here in my relationship. And I was having panic attacks. I, you know, I suffered from anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And then it just kept happening more and more. And it, it was what initially got me into therapy. But I remember that feeling because you, you yes. talked about the juxtaposition of promotion and getting fired. But in that case, what 
traditional, you know, to traditional metrics for success were there, but internally I was just uh, struggling. <laughs> yes. yeah. Can we talk about success for a bit? Yes, please. I think we are measuring success wrong. I agree. I, I, I talk about, you know, I think sometimes, well, what I've said is we're climbing the wrong mountain. I actually think the mountain is a, a false peak. And what I mean by that is we measure our success by things like our career. You know, mm. uh, how much money do we have, the title we have, the amount of prestige, the car we drive, and all of these things are externally validated. In other words, yeah. we're measuring our success on what we think other people think about us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, but the true success is our connections, our relationships, our health, our own state of mind, our own well-being. In fact, your, your story was a perfect example of it. From the outside world, you had it all going on, right? Yeah. Your book was coming out, you're successful. You should be happy. Right. But your connection, like the, the thing that is closest to you was, was not where you wanted to be. And you were miserable. I was, I was, <laughs> I certainly was. It, 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 you're going to, you're going to be, yeah, I, actually you'll be surprised because you study this, but so I'm, I, I shared with you that I'm from Nigeria and I, but I, I don't know if you know that I grew up in five countries and four continents, but the first nine years of my life was in and out of three military regimes. Two of them were uh, dictatorships and my name, Tayo short for, I can tie which means a warrior's brother's joy. It's the Yoruba culture, but in that moment, the first nine years of my life, a lot of what I, you know, shoot-ins, kill-ins, all these things, and, and, and it, a lot of it was a testament to my parents. I, as I'm writing my second book right now, where I'm reflecting on those experiences, I found that I was living to the second part of my name, joy. And to me, joy is something I study because it's more internal. It's confused for happiness and is internal. But I was... Yeah finding a lot of moments where I was just content with who I was in those first nine years of my life, despite yeah. the suppression and, and, and oppression yeah. that, that was going on. And it's the opposite of what I just shared earlier, where yes. because, you know, obviously as a kid, you're naive sometimes, but also you, you have all these unbridled optimism and because of your environment. But I, sure. I, it, was, it wasn't until I moved around, I moved to uh, Burkina Faso, which is French speaking country in West Africa. And then I started to see, you know, people react to me like, oh, you, you know, you, they, they would talk, point out moments about my blackness, your nose, your hair, yeah. all these things. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm not happy. <laughs> but I was 10 and 11. But it was I started to really pick up on those things once yeah. I started letting external opinions of, other, of myself, you know, uh, affect me. Of course, I was too young to understand it, but that's what was happening. That's right. That's right. But inside you, it sounds like you were wired or let's say programmed, like you were born in a certain way. And turns out about 40% of our happiness is based on genetics. Like we, we just come, I won't say wired because I think we can, I say programmed. Program. Uh, it's in our DNA. Sonia Lubomirsky in The How of Happiness writes about kind of the factors that make up happiness. And some of it is genetic. Uh, and so you came kind of pre-programmed that way. Wow. Now you mentioned something interesting, which is like you were surrounded by war. You're surrounded by chaos. And still as a kid, like you felt this, this, uh, Optimism, Optimism or this happiness. Yeah. yeah. I think there's something really powerful about being able to hold it all, right? So there's these experiences, like some people uh, look at the news and say, how can I be happy in a world where X, Y, and Z can live, yeah. right? So I should feel miserable too. But, but there's room for us to feel all of these things, right? Yeah. Because look, even in the middle of a war, there's babies being born. There's people getting married. There's, there's birthdays to celebrate. There's people graduating. 
And it's not that we're putting our head in the sand and ignoring all the hard things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when there are things to celebrate or when we feel good, like step into that feeling of good. Because when we share gratitude, when we share our love, when we share our happiness, when we share our joy, it makes us stronger to be able to deal with those hard things, those very real hard things that are going yeah. on. No, you're so right. And that, I mean, it's something I'm definitely coming to learn and something I've allowed myself to feel because you know, generally in the, in the field of work that I'm in, I'm constantly holding space <laughs> for, for many of these type of things, I, you know, with diversity, equity, inclusion. But last yeah. year was a unique experience. And, you know, we saw the world got to see what sure. was happening. And I allowed myself to be fully angry. You know, you know, for the first time in years, and which was going back to stuff I was talking about in childhood. But yeah, I used to just suppress part of my anger because I felt like yeah. I needed to. But I was like, no, you can be angry yeah, and allow yourself to feel that. But then, yeah. you know, you, you can turn that into something. So I, I'm, I'm learning right. a lot about different emotions and, and unlearning some things about myself that I might have I might have uh, programmed. But uh, fantastic. That's fascinating. Yeah, the anger can be channeled, right? If, if yeah. the anger is channeled into a good cause, it can be super useful. When exactly. it just eats at you and hurts your own mental well-being, then it's not helping anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah destructive. So I'm curious about this. How can we yeah. discover what is, what is important to us and why? Because that, that, that seems to be the core of what you're saying, the discovering what will fuel our inner joy and happiness, essentially. Sure. How do we discover that? That's a great question. You know, I think that most of us probably already know, you know, you, you like you feel it in your body, right? So when you talk about doing something that you have to do at work, as an example, or something you do in life, and as you're talking about it, what's the feeling you get in your body, right? And there are some things in all of our jobs, in all of our work, in all of our lives, there's some things that, quote, light us up. Yeah. And there's some things that are just a drag on us, Right. That's right. And, and we, we kind of know that, like, if you don't know, just like, just as you say it, just notice how you feel in your body, your body knows. And then over time, over your, the course of your life, over the course of your career, just see if you can shape more and more and more of your career or your life into those things that feel good. So I'll give you an example in my own life. Um, so I got an engineering degree out of college. But when I went to go search for jobs, there were all these different jobs. Some of them were super technical. And, uh, but the one I ended up choosing was a job in sales to do technical sales. Because what I knew is that I love to talk to people. I love building relationships. I love, you know, that idea of connection. And that was more exciting to me than writing code. And that's just one example. But each time I had a choice in my career, it was choosing the thing that, that lit me up. And so, I, of course, it's much harder than that on the ground, but that's the simple premise. Yeah. You, you're so good at this. I could see why you wrote a book on this. This is so, <laughs> it's so, it's so important though. You know, you, you need to understand your, your body. It's one of the things I, I've been learning with mindfulness, know why you react a certain way and what's happening with your body. But yeah, I, I live in New York City, as we, we shared. It, it, it's, you know, often known for its go, go, go nature, which is it mimics my personality. Yeah. And there are certain, you know, good things about that but at the same time the 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 uh, the other side of that could be that you forget to be present and when you're not That's present right. you ignore many things and so those are things that, that I'm, I'm figuring out um okay so your book is coming out at a very important time 
we have been experiencing and observing many types of leaderships, right? Yes. You know, and um, people have different opinions on what type of leadership is desired throughout the world, especially as it <laughs> relates to, to, yes. to pandemic and, you know, race issues or inclusion issues or any of these things. And the word that comes to mind oftentimes is, is, is a compassionate leader, right? Yes. And, and you, you do this uh, very well at LinkedIn and, and, and with other companies. I wonder if you could define what a compassionate leader is and maybe sure. just speak to the state of affairs as you see it, you know, based on your experience in the world. Sure. The simplest way I think about compassionate leaders or compassionate companies or organizations in the most simple terms is when we move from me to we. Right. So, you know, as a person, um, if I move away from just my own selfish, just thinking about me, 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 and I start to think about everybody else around me, look, including myself, I'm going to be more successful at work and, and successful in life. And leaders and companies are no different. So a successful company is one who looks at all of their stakeholders, not just their shareholders. So in other words, they're thinking about their employees they're thinking about their customers, the value they provide to customers, and they're thinking about a business model. Turns out the companies who do this are actually more profitable than the S&P average. Turns out 14 times, that's 1400% more profitable if they operate this way and they're gonna last longer. So that's at the company level. At, the, at a leader level, a person who's compassionate, again, is thinking about the whole, not just themselves, not just the shareholders. So as an example, during this pandemic, a really great leader is first, first being a little bit vulnerable, saying, hey, right, all right, you guys, let's just be real. This is hard. Yeah. Right? <laughs> a year ago, we were not planning on doing business like this. And for sure, we were not planning on doing this for a year. Let's yeah. just realize this is hard. You mm -hmm. know, and, first, and talk about how it's hard for them. Because then when what happens is we mirror vulnerability, that mm. makes it easier for us as employees to then talk about our own mental well-being, talk about our own challenges, our own joys. And so if the leader is talking about life and is talking about us and is talking about how valuable employees are, then I'm going to feel more safe. I'm going to feel more secure. Yeah. I'm going to give back in a way that's even stronger. And I'm going to feel more connected to that leader and company. I, I, uh, study leaders as well. Uh, when you grow up as a son of a diplomat, you almost have no choice. And then you, when you first grow up with two very violent dictators, <laughs> <it's> a, <laughs> you start to become really aware initially. But I, I've, been, um, I've been very impressed with Jacina Ardern from, uh, you know, parents in New Zealand because of what you said, right? The vulnerability and mirroring that. A lot of the leaders that I've noticed who, you know, I don't know, come in, I'm a parent. This is my shirt. Yeah. This is what's happening. Right. We're, we're in this situation. Uh, right. I've noticed that th there is, you know, that, that mirroring of vulnerability that you speak of, it, yeah. it draws people in. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, something else that I always hear, I don't know if you hear this when you're, when you're doing speaking engagements or workshops is, people are, are now more afraid of being vulnerable because of uh, quote unquote cancel culture. Uh, so they might be afraid that, Oh shoot, someone's going to dig up something about me in the, in, in yeah. the past. And then I'm yeah. going to be crucified. What do you say to that? Because th wow. they're like, well, I've grown 
I, but you're gonna be compassionate for me. I know I did that or something that you know. I, I've just noticed that happening more and more. And I'm in New York, obviously. <laughs> Cuomo is 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 in the news because I rightfully so if, if that's what happened. But yeah. this is we live in such a divisive time that yeah. news networks have been waiting for this. They're like, oh, you sure. were criticizing this? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Look at that. So it's yeah. a great question. I think I, I think our willingness to be vulnerable means also the next piece of that is we're willing to be responsible for our own actions, right? You did say if, that. If, if I'm going to share everything with you, then I'm going to share everything with you. And um, if we go back to happiness as an inside job, that means I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be happy regardless of what you think. Right. But if I'm going to be vulnerable, that means I'm open to all of these things that you're going to have to say about what I have to say. And if I start living like that, I'm probably going to make different choices, <laughs> right? Because if I do something bad and then I'm going to be able to talk about it, I, oh, I'm, my life is going to get a lot harder right? as, <laughs> as we see on TV. It, it is. And I love that you said that because, first of all, no one is perfect. Um, but the, the thing is, you have to be able to take responsibility for, for you know, the actions and, and have that accountability. And so... I think a lot of people think that vulnerability doesn't mean accountability and, oh, no. I, and it, it does. I'm not a fan of um, cancel culture. I believe in counseling more. I, I definitely lean more liberal, but I do yeah. think sometimes we can go overboard <laughs> in terms yeah. of, of, of tearing down people. But I, I do think holding people accountable for their actions yeah. is, is, is essential. And yeah. if that happens, it happens. And it's such a balance and it's a nuance. And I think it speaks to the whole idea of that spectrum of compassion. Because yeah. it's not going to look the same. Yeah. <laughs> At least That's I right. feel like in different environments, practice compassion for LinkedIn might be different for why you practice for yourself. That's right. Or another company, right? Context. Yeah, it starts. It starts with look. One of the challenges we have in our culture right now, across the world, is we're talking past each other. Yeah. Right. The news we're getting is all just about us, and the news we think the other. I'm making air quotes in my other. Yeah. They're reading news <laughs> all about them, and so when we talk at each other, all we're focusing on is our differences. Yeah. But real compassion starts in how are we the same? How are we similar? Yeah. And among humans, we're about 98 percent similar and two percent different. But where do we focus? We focus only on how we're different. Mm -hmm. But if mm -hmm. we really get real, it's like, hey, what do we have in common? Well, okay, we're both human. We both love our families. We both love our friends. We have plans we want to work out. Like the list would be extraordinarily long. It would be. Right? Before we get to the places where we have differences. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist. And it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses, it's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out, use it with your friends, use it with your family, use it with yourself, okay? The link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Back to the episode. I feel like we're speaking yeah. to a twin here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Okay. But it, and again, what we're speaking to is uh, Scott Shute. You know, uh, he recently received the Norman Vincent Peale Award for positive thinking, and I'm sure you can see why, especially with that line of of of, of dialogue. But the reason why I've said it was I, I didn't mean to interrupt it. I'm sorry for that. It, it, the twin thing is I I shared with you earlier that my my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. And in the book I was writing. A lot of any, most of the problems we have today and throughout history have been caused because of people's inability to relate to something that was different from them, right? Whether right. it's religion, war, gender, whatever you think of. That's right. And, and so hearing you say that, I'm like, yeah, it's a reinforcement of that, but it is that uh, emphasis uh, on the different and how it's a perceived threat, real or imagined uh, yeah. to us that is essentially caused anything right even if it's politics if it's gender if it's gender identity if it's religion what nationality <laughs> whatever yeah. it is uh sports teams and i and I'm, yeah. I'm an athlete and i love sports but you know in new york here sometimes i've seen you see a lot of red Sox and new york fans go at new york yankees fans go <laughs> at it and you know that, that's sure. more the joke jovial aspect but sure it can go down to that simple level <laughs> right sure. yeah so one of my one of my favorite quotes is from Abraham Lincoln, or at least attributed to Abraham Lincoln. And he said, uh, I do not like that man. I must get to know him better. Hmm. And, you know, I think at the root of that is this feeling that we're all really similar. But when we see somebody and, you know, everybody's had this experience. You see somebody, they say something, it makes us angry. It's, it, it violates some value in us. And, and instantly we go to that difference. But if we could just realize that this person is reacting something because it violates one of their values, just like I'm reacting to something that violates one of our values. And if we had a conversation about what that's like, what that's like at the root and what that root is about, then maybe we could have a real conversation instead of just focusing on how it's different. Right, right, right. Huh. It's definitely something to think about. Huh. You also say that Compassion is a strategic advantage. I, yes. I know you've, you've been touching on it, but could you elaborate more on that? What do you, what do you mean by strategic advantage? Sure. Well, well I'm, when I talk about it at the company level, think. About, let's go deeper on that. When I say, instead of just focusing on your shareholders, the money part, focus on your customers and your employees. But if we click deeper, 
I define compassion like this. First, it's an awareness of others. The second is having a mindset of wishing the best for them. And the third is the courage to take action. All right. So from a company perspective, first, my customers, if I'm deeply aware of them, right? If I'm deeply aware of my customers, that's the first part. I have to know them. The second part is I want to wish the best for them. In other words, I really care about my customers and I care about the value that I can provide for them. I want to solve their problems. And then third is to take action on their behalf. So that means there's sometimes when the customer's needs perhaps outweigh my own in the short term. So as an example, at the end of the quarter, let's say that uh, you and I are sales guys, right? And we're trying to meet our number. We're trying to hit our quota and we're not quite there, but we could sell this customer we've been working on. We could sell them something they don't need and we would hit our quota, right? And in the short term, that's good for us. But long term, we're probably going to lose that customer because we've, you know, we've sold them something they don't need. So in the long term, it pays off if we make decisions based on this. We deeply understand our customers. Uh, we wish the best for them and we take action on their behalf. In short term, it's some trade-offs. The same things work with employees. If we deeply understand our employees, we deeply care about them and we're trying to create a great environment for them. Sometimes we make trade-offs in the short term that's not great for our shareholders, but long-term it's great for our employees. Then we have less attrition, we have more loyal employees, and we have more creative and dedicated employees. All those things put together means we are going to deliver better solutions, more competitive solutions in the marketplace. And not to be crude, but we're going to make more money, right? We're going to be more successful as a business. We're going to last longer. You're going to last longer, huh? That's, uh, and and I, I think it's hard for people sometimes to see past profits. Um, short term. Yeah, short term. And, but, but what you're saying, and which, which is true, is that if you really focus on people, you will get the profit. That's right. And it's not at the expense of, right? You still have to have a good business model. Right. You can't just, you can't be completely um, uh, just about others, right? You have to include yourself in it. But when you're solving for the whole and not just yourself, you're going to win. Yeah, that's beautiful. No, that's, uh, that's okay. So that's on the company level. Now, someone is listening to this and they're thinking about, well, I really like what you're saying, company level, individual level, but are there things that I can... Yeah, works questions, for me. Questions, yeah, individual. Yeah, questions that I can come up with for myself or, you know, because I believe you can solve many problems in the world if you ask yourself the right questions or if you ask the right totally. questions in general. So when... Yeah, go ahead. When, when people come and ask me like, especially new employees, they're like, hey, I'm new here or I'm, I'm new in career. Like what's, what's one piece of advice you'd give me? My advice has always been make everybody around you better, right? Because think about that. If you are on a team, you've just started out, maybe you're on a new team or maybe you're just new in career. What is that manager looking for? The manager is trying to solve the team's problems or the group's problems, Right. And if you as an individual are making everybody around you better and you're making the team better, you're making the big problems, when it comes time to get promoted or, or seen or, or given a raise, you're the first person on the list because you are acting like the manager is acting. You're yeah. thinking about the whole. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean? It means, you know, building somebody up in a meeting. Like we're in a meeting and I'm like, oh, hey, did you see what uh, Jane said yesterday? You know, that was really good. Or, hey, we haven't heard from uh, this person online. I'd like to hear what you say. Or it's taking time to be a mentor. It's being you know, all of those things. You guys know what to do. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, it, but but okay, so in in those in sustaining that moment there, the yeah. do you have maybe two to three questions that you would I don't know, maybe it could be more that people need to ask themselves on a regular basis? Ah. Uh, let's see. I think one of them we started with. It's like what does winning look like? Right? Or success. Yeah. What does how do am I measuring success? Right? And first of all, is that success aligned with what my manager would say or what my spouse or my mom would say, right? Yeah. So it starts there. I'm measuring success the right way. Uh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Success winning. Interesting. And I, I, by the way, the reason why I, I love that is that even if you start off there, you're going to probably going to find other questions that you will lead to, you know, will come out of that as an offshoot. For uh, sure. Yeah. Based well, on that. So because if I start with that success question, most people ask that question, then they only answer it from a work perspective, mm-hmm. right? But what if I include my spouse and my kids and my friends and my family and my mom, right? Isn't and- it true, Scott? Yeah, it's so true. It, it, we, we, look, I, 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 we used to have this joke growing up. Uh, a lot of immigrants who know this, a lot of uh, specific African immigrants and, and you know, yeah. some of my Asian immigrants say this, but my, my, my parents and friends and families would say, you know, you either be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, or failure. Now, <laughs> I didn't end up becoming yeah. any, <laughs> I, I didn't end up becoming that. And I, I know initially, you know, that's one of the things when, when I talk to fellow Africans and diaspora, the, you know, the biggest surprise is, well, how did you deal with the parents? And they, <laughs> right. and, and, but, 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 and, and I've had this conversation with my parents initially because, and I know, I know why it happens, right? A lot of times because right. of the, the way we grew up and the way it's set up, you're told you got to be better. Right. You got to be this right. in order to succeed there. It's a self-preservation um, right. thing. And one the conversation I've had with my parents and I've, we've come to agree on this <laughs> over the years uh, is you know, you got to let people freely define what is successful for them. Because if you yeah. le- leaving it into this limited boxes, you know, yeah. even if you, even though you have the best intentions, what, what's happening is you, you're going to be coming across all these ideas while well, you're failing, you're failing, yeah. you're failing. And yeah. when you ask yourself that question, if you're really yeah. self-aware, you're going to realize, yeah. well, am I failing according to my standards or my parents' standards? Right. <laughs> right? And, yeah. and it's really useful going back to compassion to understand where, your immigrant parents, everybody's immigrant parents were coming from. Most immigrant parents were coming from a place of poverty. They were coming from a place of, if you, if you could be an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer, then you could get yourself out of poverty. Then you'd have more freedom. You'd have more yeah. choices and that would lead to more happiness. Yeah. And all that is true. But if you come and you can make money in a different way, or you can be successful in a different way and have all those same freedoms, then the rules change. And so it does require a different conversation. It requires a changing of the success measures because probably that whole generation got trapped into this idea of you had to be a certain thing so that you could be happy when really what they meant was, Hey, we just, we want you to be happy. Yeah, no, that's, I was certainly in the case of my, my parents is more of, we, we don't want you to go through what we went through. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Right. We, we want you to, to do this. And this is the, the, the best way we know. It was their um, learned experience, their lived experience. Lived experience. It, it, the, the, the other aspect of, of lived experience is personal. And you, my friend, have a very interesting career. You, you've been doing this for over 20 years. But how does one, you know, I, I'm, I've, I am guessing that there wasn't any field called head of mindfulness and compassion <laughs> when, you thought about, when you thought about, you know, what you wanted to do. How do you yeah. get 
it, how do sure. you become LinkedIn's head of mindfulness and compassion? My primary career has been in leadership, in customer service leadership, right? So I've, I've led organizations that did customer service. And yeah. that culminated at LinkedIn. I was a head of customer operations. It's essentially all of the customer-facing stuff that's not sales. You know, this big organization, like a thousand people, 20 different groups, super complicated organization. That was my like day job. But, but what was also true for me and what was true for me outside of work is I had this big passion around... Um, mindfulness, or for me, spirituality. I, I don't talk about that at work, but that was the root of it. Hmm. I had started this practice when I was 13. I started teaching uh, contemplative mindfulness practices in college, and it's a big part of me. But at work, it was something I didn't talk about. And about six years ago, so about two years into my LinkedIn journey, while I was still in my old role, I noticed that it's such an open place. Like the CEO is talking about uh, meditating with headspace. The CEO is talking about compassionate leadership. And I thought, wow, maybe this is a place where I could bring my own meditation practice to work and share it. And so I started by leading, you know, one class. And, and the first time I was terrified, right? Because I was like, what are people going to think of me? Like, what, what is this going to do for my brand and all this you know, stupid ego stuff? <laughs> you know, and there was one dude who came to that first class and I'm sure he was just as scared as I was because I never saw that guy again. <laughs> but, but then there was three and then there was five and then it became a regular thing. And then with a bunch of volunteers, we created a mindfulness program. I raised my hand to be the executive sponsor of our mindfulness program. And I did that as a volunteer for three or four years. And then for me, the turning point was three years ago, our CEO, Jeff Weiner, gave the commencement address at Wharton right? This is a very serious and public place, you know, and a commencement address is your one piece of advice to give, right? And he was saying, look, if you're going to be successful at work and at life, be compassionate. Like, whoa, that's pretty serious for this thing at Wharton. And mm -hmm. then the next two or three times he's on TV, that's all the reporters want to talk about. And I was thinking, okay, it's time. It's time in my career and my life to, for me to invest in this personally, but it's also time at LinkedIn for us to invest in this. Look, if we send 16,000 people back to their desk, 16,000 employees with the message that compassion is the most important thing, what does that mean? Hmm. How do I, so I made a pitch to, to our CEO, to our head of HR, and essentially created this role. And with their great support, was given kind of a blank sheet of paper to go figure it out. So- that, that's you know, how I did it. And I, I love that you did it. And thank you for sharing that story. And, and that's why I, I wanted to bring it up because I suspected you, you were in an environment that allowed you to explore that. Right. And, and the other thing that we don't talk about often is as you ask yourself these questions about success, right? And, and all these things and self-awareness, one of the things you need to be aware of is the environment that cultivates who you, you fully are. That's right. right. Who you can be. And then you come up with your boundaries too, because it, the difficult part is, is enforcing those boundaries and having those difficult conversations because maybe growing up, you were programmed to believe that that right. was what you needed. But as you evolve, speaking That's of, right. uh, <laughs> you, you start to learn things and maybe things that you accepted before were different. So yeah, I think that, that's, that's right. also important, right? And then you said that what? courage to take action. That's right. When, now, not everybody has choice, right? Let's be real. Not everybody has choice, but a lot of us have choice in how we work and who we become. And as we take more responsibility for our own lives, and as we get really clear about what our values are, it becomes really clear if the company we're working for fits those values or not. Yes. Right. Can I be more of my full self 
this company? And if the answer is increasingly no, then the question back to myself and there should be, is this the right place for me? Yeah. And that point of choice is exactly why compassion leadership should be paramount because as leaders, you're, you know, you're most likely in situations where people are in their first time jobs, second time jobs, dealing with multiple things, you know, stigmas, microaggressions, but they have to pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like they can just leave the job, but at the same time, you want to make sure that they feel seen, heard, and understood as New York plays in the background. Um, <laughs> but you, <laughs> you, you, you want to make sure that, that that's the case. And you, you were talking earlier, you need to be able to add value to the world. And, okay. and this is how we create that compassionate world, you know, because eventually you, you, you empower someone enough to be able to make that decision for themselves, especially um, if, you know, if they don't have the choice at that moment. So, yeah. When, uh, we, when we treat our employees in this way, and when we create environments where people can really be their full authentic selves, they can blossom, right? Yeah. They can bring their full creative powers to work. Just think about your own life in a time when you felt really alive and creative and felt like you could pour your whole self into a project versus another project where it's like, oh man, this sucks, but I have a yeah. deadline on Thursday. So I guess it. I'm just going to get it done. Like, <laughs> now, now think, think about the result of those two projects and what, and what the company would rather have. Yeah, that's, that's so true. That's so true. Wow. Um, yeah, I could talk to you all day, but we, we, have, to <laughs> we have to close soon. So your book, The Full Body Yes, change your, change your Work and Your World from the Inside Out. How can people get it? Yeah, you can go to uh, any place books are sold, but you can find out more at thefullbodyyes.com. Find all the details and find it from your favorite retailer. All right. Or well, bookstore. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes uh, and uh, access to your personal website as well will be there. Uh, I have to close with this. My, my mission statement, as you already know, at this point is use your difference to make a difference. So I usually ask my guests this, Scott, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Wow. I think, look, there's not very many people. This is, this is what I've come to understand and believe. There's not many people who combine this deep, like spiritual practice and deep, you know, work practice um, in this way. So mm -hmm. I think that's how I'm different. And I'm trying to bring this book out because I think it combines these two things. Um, and it's for, and it's for everybody because I sure. think the stories are interesting, but it's for people who are working, especially this is the center of the bullseye for the people who are working. And sometimes they feel like, oh man, is this all there is? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Wow. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I'm excited for you. When the book comes out, the book, well, the podcast will be out by the time the book is out. So please grab a copy and uh, I'm wishing you nothing but success with this. Thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And thanks to everybody who's listening today. I appreciate you. Pleasure's mine. Kings, queens, and royalty. Till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.